Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're a returning subscriber, welcome. Hope you're having an amazing day. You see what happens when you subscribe to the Ethics Experts. You get a bonus greeting on every single episode, so hit that subscribe button. We are here today with Gio Gallo. We are here today with Andy Hinton, and uh, we are going to dive in and start talking about Compliance 3.0. We're going to start talking about uh, the world and what is coming down the pike. How's everyone doing today? I'm all good. I'm, I'm great. Happy, happy, happy to talk. Yeah, excited to do this. This is going to be a great episode. Yeah. So um, why don't we just start by kind of diving in and talking a little bit about, you know, some of your background. Like you, um, you've come up through the compliance game for um, many years. And, um, you know, how did you kind of get into this game? Sure. Sure. So, so, so I'm a lawyer by trade. Um, I, I started out as a, a commercial litigator in Manhattan for a law firm, Kravaskin and Moore. Spent about nine years after that as a federal prosecutor, also in New York, um, focused on, on narcotics and then ultimately business crimes. And then when I left the, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, looking for something else to do. And I was like, like this close to be going into a law firm when GE reached out and said, gee, interested in leading a compliance team for us. And I was like, I'm sorry, don't know what a compliance team is. And again, nine years Business crime, securities fraud, never ran into a compliance team, a compliance anything. So they explained to me what it was. And at that time, it was less ethics. In fact, there was no ethics reference. It was all compliance. Uh, and, and, that, and at that time, it was still sort of the WorldCom um, 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 Enron sort of shadow. So it was all about not, you know, helping people not go to jail. Yep. Um, and that seemed like a, like a natural fit for somebody who had spent a, a, a quite a bit of time, you know, unfortunately, sending some people to jail. Uh, and so, uh, so I went to GE. I led compliance for a small GE business, then got chosen to lead compliance for a large, larger GE business. And then um, I got a call from a contact at Google. And the rest, as they say, is history. I, I packed up like a little Beverly Hills. I, I date myself with these references. A little Beverly Hills Billy moment, packed all my stuff, moved out west. Uh, family, two children, and it's been life-changing. It's been phenomenal. I mean, 14 years at a fantastic company, watched the company go. When I got out there, maybe 10,000 employees-ish. Uh, when I left, some knocking on the door of 140,000 employees. Wow. Uh, just a, just a, uh, an amazing story. So, yeah. so that's how I got into it. Life-changing, and also uh, you've changed a lot of lives through this, right? Like kind of when you're in that enforcement game, you're kind of one-to-one -one trying to enforce that on this person who did something wrong. When you're in the compliance and ethics game, you're impacting all of those 10, all of those 140,000 employees. I mean, I, I, and that's right. At least that's the hope. Um, and, 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 and convincing people that there's a spot for ethics, there's a spot for compliance, in an incredibly hyper fast moving, hyper growth tech business, yeah. um, and I'd like to think that we that we we accomplish that. So when you got there, or I guess when you when you made the jump into GE, there was no talk of ethics, as you were saying. When you came to um, Google, there was like ten thousand employees. You guys ten x that over over the time, and I'm sure that by the time you left, ethics was a big part of the game. How did you see, or like, talk to us a little bit about how that started to blend together? Yeah, sure. And, and, I, and it's, I like to be careful about this because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I am, I am not formally trained in ethics and to call me an ethics expert is, 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 is an overshot by about a billion. Well, we but in that, the context we, we throw of that around very, very loosely. We throw yeah, that no, no, that's fair. 
uh, I think the ethics part really comes in in terms of of how you appeal to how you how you appeal to the minds of the members of your organization. Right. You know, and and that GE and this is not to suggest GE is is not was not an incredibly ethical place. It was, um, but at GE, Andy's a guy who'll help you not go to jail. That resonated for people. Right. Right. That's not that's not the game um, at Google. That's it's never been the game at Google. It's not the game in tech. I think uh, in tech, it's really about doing the right thing, and that you know, that's always it gets harder and harder to define as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, and expectations become become layered on top of each other. But it's still we all, doing the right thing for all the different stakeholders that are out there, internal and external, and that that really appeals to 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 the minds of the employees at Google, and I think employees in, in newer tech industries. So the, the, an example I like to say is at GE, I mean, bribery is one of those things that, that sort of cuts, cuts across all ethics and compliance organizations. Right. So if a bribery situation, a potential bribery situation came up and you said, oh, 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 you don't want to do that because it's illegal and you could go to jail. That's what they, That was the end of the conversation. Nobody, they're not going to cross you. They're not going to do it. In a tech industry, um, there's more of a conversation because there's not this 100% alignment yep. between between values and ethics and the law. There's, right. a, there's an effort to have it that way, but it's not always exactly aligned. And so you have a longer conversation. You know, also you're dealing with people who are who are who are who have a different sort of mindset when it comes to data. And so things like, okay, I still think this is ultimately the right thing to do. Tell me what my chances are. Of getting caught. Tell me what my chances are of going to that. That kind of conversation happens. It's at first off-putting, but at some point you get you get to understand that people are more fully weighing different moral ethical choices. Uh, yeah. And then ultimately, the winning argument is convincing people it is just not the right thing to do. Uh, and that that's that's how you win. That's how you win these discussions from a moral ethics perspective. You know, you don't, you don't bribe people because it depri deprives people of the, the fair the, the, the fair services of the, of the government officials. Uh, it results in shoddy products. Bridges fall into, into rivers. Right. Uh, toys end up with lead paint. Buildings fall down because of bribery. And that, that's that's a winning that's a winning argument at, at a Google and, at, and at a, at a, I think at a, at a newer tech business. Yeah, and I think in a lot of cases, you know, it's it's interesting the challenges that you've been meeting because, you know, in manufacturing and supply chain, the law has, is very close to kind of the edge of what's happening. But you guys have been dealing with, you know, for decades, things that the law hasn't considered yet. And I imagine that conversation of what are my chances of, uh, you know, going to jail for this? It's like, well, I don't know. There's never been a case about this. And like Congress probably doesn't even know that this thing exists. Right. So, you know. It's kind of cool, like it's definitely challenging, but it's also cool because you can flex into that. Well, what's the right thing to do? What is the spirit behind this law that may apply to telecom or may apply to supply chain? And it's probably going to be applied to us, but we don't have any precedent for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. An example, again, this is not really in the compliance space that I worked in, um, but copyright. Okay. So Google, Google's a search engine. And the way Google makes money is, you 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 search for you put in a search term, and people have paid money to have ads a pop up when that search term is put in. And so, if you put in car, a Toyota ad might pop up. So the question is, if you put in Toyota, can anything but a Toyota ad pop up? Like can Ford mm. buy Toyota as a keyword? Yep. 
And that's just something nobody really really thought about in terms right. of copyright and, and and I mean all these issues of what's best for the user, what was the intent of the law, uh, what are the different interests about all that was 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 discussed, continues to be discussed in terms of resolving what we should do in that space. Um, and so, yeah, 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 you try to find the right thing, uh, especially when laws are written, not contemplating the kinds of services that you're offering and that exist today. Yeah, it's exciting. So we were talking, you know, Gio and I have been talking about this compliance 3.0 framework, and it seems to um, overlay with some of what your experience is. And, you know, so the broad framework is this. When compliance first came out, I mean, it's still kind of in its adolescence, but when it was first birthed, so to speak, it was all about keep the company out of jail, let's not get sued, keep the CEO from going to prison. That was compliance, you know, 1.0. Very legal-based. Total, total legal-based, total um, defensive position or posturing or something. Um, then, like, compliance 2.0 is like, all right, well, this is a real thing. We need to kind of do this more efficiently. Let's get some tech involved. Let's get some dashboards and some pie graphs, and let's start kind of aggregating data. And now, you know, when we're talking about compliance 3.0, we're really talking about compliance is really about effectiveness. Compliance is about unleashing the magic in the workforce because at the end of the day, we're really just drawing lines around a field and that allows for a great game to be played. You know, so the analogy we talk about a lot is like, imagine a soccer game without any boundaries on it. What kind of a game would that be? You wouldn't be able to watch it. But like once you put those boundaries around the field, there's so much magic that can happen. And that's obviously kind of the same for every, any single sport. And I think that translates directly into, uh, you know, businesses, right? And so when we were talking to Tom Fox about this, he was like, oh, you got to talk to Andy because, you know, this is his quote, you know, compliance's job is to unleash the magic in, in the workforce. And I think we're at this really interesting inflection point, or there's maybe this like compliance wave swelling where more, more people are getting this thing that we're talking about. Because look, we've been walking up the mountain with rocks in our boots for so long uh, in terms of employee engagement and in terms of, you know, employee turnover. We've just got, we've gotten used to running businesses with 70% employee engagement. So talk to us a little bit, you know, I'd love to hear kind of your, your perspective on this sort of song sheet that we're singing that we kind of stole from your book, apparently. Um, <laughs> and like how, how you've seen that transition, because again, you know, you, you talked about the WorldCom thing and then that transition through Google, which is obviously a more forward thinking company, I think on a lot of different fronts. How have you seen that change and, and where do you think we're at in that transition? Sure. I mean, first of all, it, it's not my book. It, it's it's a challenge that everybody in this space um, has to deal with, and so and so happy to talk about it and happy to learn about it. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I think I think you nailed it. The 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 pathway to effectiveness and the way you measure effectiveness of a compliance organization can't be, gee, nobody went to jail today. Yeah. Right. That's just that's just that's just not that's just it's not a thing. Um, um, uh, the 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 way you measure effectiveness is by talking to the members of your organization and, and sort of sort of measuring longitudinally and latitudinally how much how they are engaged in the program, how much how much there is consistency around what the what the what the purpose, the goals, the mission are of the organization, and where people believe there is tension, even dissonance, between this ultimate goal of doing the right thing and the, the, the more transactional objectives, business objectives of, of your organization. Um, and, and so that brain, that sort of pulls you into the, this world of really understanding your, your membership, your, your organization membership, your employees, if you're, if you're an employer. Um, on the other side of it, because these are, you know, these, many of these organizations are large, but even, even, even when they're not large, the, the number of opportunities 
for things to go left when you expected them to go right is, has become astronomical. Right. The complexity is is off the charts. And so the, 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 the old detection, the old prevention model of compliance, you got you have to leverage your organization to do that. Right. You, there's just never going to be enough compliance people, enough, enough sort of markers and checkers to go around and, and, and sort of look and watch and make sure everything is running right. If your organization's membership don't have some understanding of what is the right thing, what is expected, and some, some, some feeling, some obligation, that might be overstating it, but an obligation right. to raise their hands when they think things are going left when they should be going right. Uh, you're gonna have a really hard time, and when you, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not. I mean, Google, as it got larger and larger and larger, that was a real challenge, and you were sort of forced into, gee, we really need to double down in terms of, in terms of leveraging our employee population. Yeah, that's such a good point, and uh, I'd be interested to kind of get some guidance from you. You've been playing kind of on the edge of this. Uh, you've obviously been playing at a at, at a large level um, on employee count, but also just the complexity of it. Some of that stuff you talked about, Andy, of you know, what's the engagement of the employee base and how bought in are people to the program? Uh, it's not super objective. And I think a lot of people in the compliance game came from maybe a legal background like yourself or maybe an auditor background. And we, you know, I, I think we have this combination of we're very conscientious. We like to kind of get all the boxes ticked, but we have a big heart and we want to like make sure people get taken care of. Uh, like, how have you seen it work well? Or how do you th how do you think people in the audience can take a step toward, okay, there's some stuff I can measure and I can, you know, say whether I got all my training done, but there's some other stuff that I need to kind of flex into because that's where the magic happens. And it's on that objective piece. It's on that buy-in piece. Uh, how have you maybe yourself or seen Google get better at kind of stepping into the, some of that fuzziness, which is really where, like, that's the next frontier for us, I think. Great question. So, so I think the first step is just to go out there and measure it. Okay. And yes, it's about perceptions. Um, it's 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 um, it is it is sometimes soft and, and fuzzy, but it's but it's but it's a real it's a real critical measure. It's not the only important measure, but it's a real critical measure in terms of how your your program is being is being absorbed mm -hmm. by your organization. All the, the 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 objective measures still important, right? For a bunch of reasons, they're, they're important because they 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 generate comfort for. For people that 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 buy into those things, or you need to always make sure people understand that they are not a a they don't define the program. Mm. Uh, they're important because regulators, who are always a little bit slow to, to catch up with some of the newer trends, expect to see these things. So if, if things if things do go south in, in an organization with a billion different opportunities for that to happen, it's gonna happen. Yep. You're gonna need to show the regulator you have these hard questy. Uh, elements of a compliance program that they're operating as expected. Um, and perhaps most importantly, a lot of these harder features, as if you're doing them right, they 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 support the perception yeah. that ethics and compliance is important to the organization. People understand as much as folks complain about training, but if you're spending a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of money and and and, and Google this way, you know, somebody's flying out to God knows where. To talk to me live and train me live, this must be important, hmm. right? And I, and I think that's that's part of part of why you have these these hard visible processes. It, it's it's a tangible demonstration to the members of your organization. This is important. It's a little it's a little bit of money where your mouth is. Love that.
that's such a cool point. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you can get some of that buy-in and you can get some of that um, you know, you get kind of that social proof across the employee base of like, hey, 99.8% of your peers finish this training. So if you, you're in that bucket, then you're in good company. And if you're not, then you're in pretty rare air in a bad way. Um, that, that's a cool way to leverage those things, not just for the regulators, not just so we can tick the box on the board, sh the board presentation and say we got all five of these things done. But you can really leg that into um, you know, getting that buy-in, getting that perception, and uh, you know, amplifying some of those softer things. I really like that, Andy. Thanks for that. Yeah, and getting some of those people who are maybe uh, on the edge to kind of tip into you know the sort of compliant the compliant group. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Especially especially when you're when 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 you take those those harder harder processes and you make sure you're, they're built in a way that it that is consistent with the 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 ethics message um and there, there are ways to do it where it's not consistent and it can actually be harm, harmful to your organization but if you're building them the right way they're consistent with the ethics message i like live even though the organizations can be incredibly large i like i like to to talk to people live answer their questions um all of that i think reinforces this this, this culture of it's it's not just it's not just sort of word words when we right. say do the right thing, the company's putting putting real effort uh, around it and buying it. Yeah, and it's and to your point, it's not just a bunch of words on the page, but there's also a bridge to the absorption or the digestion of this dish on the employee level. Because again, at the end of the day, we're talking about people. Right, right. And one, and one, I mean, one one super important area where I think I think it's it's critical to get out there and, 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 and support these harder, these hard, these hard operations with, 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 with people and, 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 and the, and the, the, the messaging is around raising concerns, right? If, I mean, yeah. if you just have, and again, this is, this is not a, a promo, but, but if you just have a helpline um, and a bunch of people behind a curtain who do investigations and there's no transparency, there's no exactly. discussion around how that works. There's no explanation as to why it's important to, to use these, these these processes. They won't get used. Yep. Uh, one thing I learned at, 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 at Google is the there is no presumption that the corporate corporation, the organization, yes. has good intent yep. or will do the right thing. When you do, when when it comes to investigations of misconduct, you have to go out there and show people that you're doing the right thing, that your heart's in the right place, that you that you that you share the goal of making sure the organization stays on the right side of the ethics line. Um, because if you're not out there and answer their questions when they think the organization might be falling short, and if you don't do that, you're you're spending a lot of time for a lot of different bells and whistles that ultimately aren't really producing anything for you. And the relationship between that communication from corporate to the organization is not a linear relationship. It's a mm -hmm. sort of a logarithmic relationship because a little bit of effort and a little bit of, you know, again, trying to show your heart that, hey, we actually care about this. And, you know, the you speaking up is not coming from a, you know, it's not a comment box over a fire in a barrel. This is something that we're actually going to sort of do something with and put some heart behind that can start getting some really, you know, that flywheel can start spinning extremely quickly, I think. Absolutely. I mean, send ripples through the organization. It's the counterpart to when you go out and you talk to folks about concerns, it seems like everybody and anybody knows of a situation mm -hmm. where the helpline and the response process was suboptimal. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, you know, it, it's some of it might be urban myth, but urban, you know, urban myth is reality to really? folks. Everybody has a bad story. You've got to counter that with something. Yeah, that perception is reality. The way that 
employees perceive the compliance program is the reality of what you're going to get, how much how much transparency and in involvement you're going to get. And, you know, I think whether people realize it or not, a lot of times we're stuck in, you know, the objective kind of compliance 1.0 space where we have a reporting function set up and we get some reports. Yep. Therefore, we have legal defensibility that we're doing it. And, you know, maybe you get into the kind of 2.0 efficiency of, hey, you know, we're getting it. We've benchmarked it. We're getting a decent amount of reports. Well, there's, there can be a false sense of security and we say, hey, we got kind of 1.2% of our employee population reports each year, right? Like, you know, we have a thousand people and we get, we, we, we get 120 reports. Well, like what, what would you get if you got more, right? right? And like, I think it follows that logarithmic curve of like, if it's set up right, if people believe in it, yep. if there's transparency and you're getting into that compliance 3.0 effectiveness, well, then you're gonna find out about more of this stuff. To your point, Andy, a lot of like everyone has a story, like not everyone has called the hotline or submitted a web form or anything like that, but like pretty much everyone knows of someone who reported something and didn't have a good uh, experience. And if we're not rooting that out and saying, hey, you know, we messed up there or we're going to make good on it or whatever, or we're fighting that perception with communication, then we're not going to get those reports. And we're going to like, I, I think it drives a lot of people being stuck in that yeah. compliance 1.0 even though they don't want to be right. Like we want to be effective. We want to engage employees. We want to be respected and we want people to know that we care about them. But sometimes we're kind of fighting against ourselves because we're fighting the wrong battle. Absolutely. Right. right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I mean, two things come to mind. One, you, 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 you've hit on the, the, the dangers of benchmarking. Hmm. So you go out there and you say, Oh, I have one, 1 1.2 uh, uh, concerns per employee. And, you know, I look at my peers in the industry and that seems to, seems to benchmark okay, so I must be fine. Whereas I think there's always this constant effort get more, get yeah, more. Yeah. Why, why, not have, why not have folks report more, more frequently? Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, you get stuck in this compliance 1.0 or, or somewhere between 1.0 and 2.0 when you become so confident that your response and your ultimate conclusion with regard to a compliance issue or concern raised, whatever, was right, yep. that you feel like you don't have any obligation, you don't have any desire to explain it to people who may not understand it. Yep. Uh, and so you've got to go out there. Great point. Great point. Yeah, you got to talk to people. You got to explain. You can't be. You can't be. You can't be defensive about it. You know. And look, not everybody will agree, but if you're out there and you're explaining and and, and you demonstrate, look. We, we, we approach this from the from the from the model that we all agreed upon. We're all trying to do the right thing. We can all we can all sort of understand that there are spots where reasonable people can disagree. Then folks can say, yeah, I don't I don't I don't necessarily agree with the result, but I agree with the process and I can sort of commit to moving forward. Right. Yeah. I think that's 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 what you're that's what you hope to get. Well, that danger of benchmarking is actually a pretty interesting point, because, um, I mean, how many issues like what percentage of uh, issues are reportable. You know what I'm saying? Or like in an organization, how many things, look, some things are gonna get reported that shouldn't be. So let's exclude those. But how many things would the compliance office or would the ethics department want to know about? Is that 25% of people seeing something? Do you know what I'm saying? Let's say it's that. Yeah, I do. Let's I, say it's that. We're patting ourselves on the back for a one or 2% reporting rate. There's another 20 or 30% that is perhaps achievable if everyone was speaking up and everyone sort of believed in the process and believed that there was like, you know, like good intentions on the other side of this veil, as as you called it. Absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that 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 we noticed um, when we went out and did, did did our own surveying is this huge delta between the amount of misconduct as defined as defined in our survey that people observed, 
and what they reported. Right. Even when people would say, oh, but I but I believe that it's my obligation to report misconduct I see. Mm-hmm. Um, or misconduct I suspect. The, um, I mean, there's a lot underneath the, the tip of the iceberg that never sees the light of day. Yeah. A lot of it is stuff that folks aren't sure is, is it qualifies as misconduct. A lot of it is stuff that folks are afraid to, to raise for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and if you don't get out there and sort of poke at that bit underneath the iceberg, yeah. it's going to stay there. Yeah. It's just going to stay there. So. That's a great analogy. You know, the iceberg analogy is such a good one because it's so much misconduct that just goes unreported. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not we're getting 90% of it. It's not we're getting right. half of it. Exactly. We're getting 15% maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then you're crushing it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, great. We beat the benchmark. I mean, th- I, I think this is part of what we're trying to do on the ethics experts. Why, what, what we're trying to do in our business is there's so much headroom for yeah. us to grow in effectiveness exactly. as ethics experts, as compliance leaders. Like, listen, you know, um, just to draw a distinction or a comparison, listen, manufacturing is very efficient, right? Like you're, you got your Kaizen and you got your continuous right. improvement and you're up, I don't know, somewhere 90, 98, 99 and a half percent towards like as fast as you can go on the production right. line. As compliance, I mean, I, like, I'm not trying to demean anybody, but there's, there's, you know, we could be five times more effective than we are. We could be five times more respected by or bought in by the employee base. There's so much room to grow. And again, I'm not trying to disparage anybody's efforts. Like, we're all trying hard. We're all budget constrained and time constrained and all of that. But there's so much more that we can do. And I think that there's something about unlocking that engagement, that buy-in from tone at the top and mood at the middle and everybody in the employee base that it's exciting to me that totally. there's, there's like people could have a much better life at work and we can, we can drive them to that promised land. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of room to grow and I think that's really exciting. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Andy. Um, you know, you kind of came from, I don't even know what a compliance function is. I'm about to make the leap into a, a law firm and then now you're kind of at this, you know, you're kind of singing this compliance 3.0 thing through your experience. Walk us through kind of uh, how those scales kind of fell away from your eyes, so to speak, and where you see this sort of going. So I, I think it's, it's 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 important to recognize that even when I was a, a federal prosecutor, um, I don't want to say I was soft. I don't think that's exactly right. But I, you know, I, I my 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 definition of justice was not yet the highest penalty mm. for whoever, whatever the defendant was. I mean, it was, it was always about trying to figure out what the right balance is. Uh, and, and, and that perspective made moving over to compliance um, an easier transition. Okay. Um, because even, even, at, even at, its, it, at, its, at its baby step stage, compliance was very much about trust mm-hmm. and trusting that the, the, the folks in the compliance organization really are trying to support the company's goals. They really are going to um, approach concerns with an open mind. Um, and um, and again, I think that I think that was I'd like to think that was the the the, the perception people had of me as a prosecutor. So it worked out. It worked the, that transition worked out well. And I think that this trust issue it's just it's just gotten larger and larger and larger to the point now today, um, unlocking. This, 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 this below, below the tip of the iceberg um, um, that we've been talking about is all about trust. It's all about mm-hmm. trust. It's all about engagement. It's all about making making your the, the members of the organization feel that they are they are not just 
the, the people served by the compliance organization, they are part of the compliance organization. They, that, that they are a, a, an incredibly important process. And, and, and um, I, I think that that just, that just worked out well in terms of my, my temperament, if you will. Yeah. Um, certainly, certainly adds add some complexity because I am um, again. I, maybe soft is the right word. When, you know, I mean, there are going to be situations where things happen and misconduct happens, and and the right answer is something that I personally would am not comfortable with, and you have to sort of step back and try and be objective and do the right thing, um, even when even when when the right thing can be can be painful for 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 the subject. Um, but that's that. I mean, that's that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> another conversation for another day. Yeah. But you know, you say soft. I think that uh, what you were saying, uh, soft, sounds to me like balanced. It's yeah, not. Exactly. I'm just trying to win and get my you know big award or something. Let's do something that makes sense. And whether that's in a case and let's settle it now, you know, for eighty percent of the fine or whatever it is, and move on, or something that you know you were doing in the compliance program. I think being balanced like that. It leads to complexity, right? It's not as easy as like, I'm just going to negotiate hard and win, but that balance leads to some complexity. But when you live into that, that's how you build that trust. Right. Yeah. And when you build that trust, you can get to that effectiveness that's in compliance 3.0. I, I appreciate that. And, and, and I think that, that I think, I think, I think that's fair. I mean, it's also just this, a more expansive view yeah. of the goals and objectives of the process, whether it's prosecuting, whether it's compliance, um, and understanding when you that when you look at the the impact of the process, you want to look broader than just the people who are immediately involved. Hmm. You know, goals of the organization, people who are who are who are who are who are who are adjacent to the immediate the immediate subjects. All, I mean, all that's all that's all all that for me is relevant. It's awesome. So, talk to me a little bit about um, so you know the sort of. I guess I'll just say it, the sort of branding problem that compliance has in many organizations. And it is, I like, what do you think that that's rooted in and how do you think we fix it? What I'm talking about is, of course, compliance walking around with, you know, the rule book swinging the stick, so to speak. Um, talk to me a little bit about kind of how we change that and how you've seen that play out in different, you know, places, you know, over your time in the in this game. It's, it, it, it's a great question. And, and, some of this may be unexpected. When, when I was when I was at GE, compli again, compliance was real. I mean, literally, when I was announced as, as a compliance officer, it was you know, business leaders, you, you should go talk to Andy. He's going to keep you out of jail. Hmm. Uh, and that and that was that was the thing. And so so the the mission was so directed at hmm. at least an important part of your target organization, your, tar tar your target audience in your organization, that there, there was trust. There was oh, Andy kind of works for me. Trying to help me and not go to jail. Why wouldn't I trust him? Um, things were different at, at Google. Even when I, at the time I left, it was different. There's a, I, I, I don't think compliance was ever really looked at. Maybe in the sale, maybe from the sales organization a little bit, but even then, not not nearly as much as 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 a, as a GE as the the place where deals go to die or right. or the you know, right. or the, or, you know, the hammer and the, we, I mean we 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 achieved. A, a position of being perceived as a independent, even though we all work for somebody, an independent organization trying to sort of navigate the path of the right thing to do. And I think the, the branding issue for me becomes 
how do you make sure that you can stay connected with the management of the organization? When people are coming to you and saying, gee, I think management has gone left when they should have gone right. And we want you to do something about it. I mean, you, you, you start to put, you're put in a, in, a, in, a, in a position where you are in some, at least as some were, in tension with management, right. uh, a check against management. I know compliance, is, that's always supposed to be a role of compliance, but it, it, just, it feels strange and hard when it's not, oh, I think people are doing things that are illegal. It's, oh, you know, I, I don't think we should do business with that. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, we, we should, you know, we, we, what we're doing for our users falls below what I, what I expect. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want you, again, this is this index to ethics. We want you to sort of negotiate, navigate for on our behalf with management to correct that. That creates, yeah, that creates some, some tension with with management and it makes it it sometimes makes it hard to to, to, to hold on to a seat at the table well, that's, yeah. that's kind of an interesting sort of uh switch right where you know before it's like hey i'm a i'm a sort of a guardian on the wall and i'm preventing sort of uh us getting in trouble outside of the organization to now becoming sort of an implement so to speak internally to like drive change that to your point can kind of contribute to some of the 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 tension as you say or some of the uh the difficulty to kind of change you know turn that sort of branding battleship so to speak absolutely absolutely i mean, I mean it, it, it has its 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 roots if you will in, in in i think the expanded expectations of today's workforce and and yes. i mean google's an example of that i mean people people don't they don't just expect to sort of collect a paycheck do their job um and um and go home they, they expect their organization to, to be something that they are um, pleased, that they are they are honored to be associated with. And that means that the organization's got to be doing things in a, in a, in a way that is, is at least consistent with the, the moral ethical expectations of the organization. Um, and that, I mean that, that leads to conversations that I mean I think in a, in, a, in, a, in its best light, it leads to conversations that that sort of help the organization to make sure whatever path you're considering, you are going through the thought process that that touches on the ethical, moral sort of touch points Great that point. employees expect you to, to, to sort of talk about and, and, and to think about. Right. Um, in its worst light, it, it has a sort of feel of, I'm sorry, if you're not telling me it's illegal, why am I having this conversation with you, compliance mm. person? Get back in your compliance box. Mm. You know, and that's that's a painful thing. That's a that's a hard thing. It is painful. It's a painful thing. Yeah. Well, because uh, that same thing you were talking about, where you know, broadly we are our work. Broadly, we are our work. Kind of today, um, compliance folks are also their work, right? So when they're told to get back into their box, it is painful. To your point. It is. What do it you is. trace that down to? What do you trace this new sort of, as you called it, sort of expanded expectations of the worst work, workforce? What is that kind of rooted in in your mind? So, I, 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 you know, we could talk about generational issues and millennials and all that, and I think that's important. Um, I, I just think that there's just there's just, just just always been. I think this is a healthy thing. A growing expectation regarding the ethical conduct of organizations, even yeah. back with, you know, Enron and WorldCom and all that. Just, people expect organizations to do more than just make money at every opportunity. They, they expect them to do that in a, in a, in a, in a, 
morally defensible way. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. I think the challenge, though, with with ethics and compliance organizations and how how important the ethics piece has become, is I don't know. Sh sharing is not right, but there's at least maybe I'll I'll use sharing because I can't think of a better word. There's a sharing of 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 sort of the conversation around ethics and moral sort of direction for the organization hmm. and management can become they can become this sort of harks back to something i said earlier they can become very confident that whatever path they have chosen is the right path that they've touched all the right ethical bases they've come to the right conclusion they can become very confident and as a result they can be left they can be reluctant to want to have conversations around those decisions. They can be particularly reluctant to have conversations around those decisions before they make those decisions for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and, and so it, it, it's some, there's, it, it, it can create dissonance and, 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 and challenging situations when there's, there's a, a, a even small percentage but large absolute number of members of an organization that have questions around the, the, the decisions senior leadership in the organization have made um, and tap on ethics compliance to sort of talk about those with senior leadership and senior leadership may not just be ready to have those conversations. They just, because they may just believe we've already gone through what is sometimes a super painful decision-making process and made a call. We don't need to necessarily rehash that again. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, I think part of it is just about having the perspective of what you know, what game we're playing or what fight we're in. Um, you know, if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, we were talking about this on a recent webinar. Um, you know, you looked at you look at trust in institutions around society, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, your community institutions, your government, your religious, you know, and then work. Work is above all of them across the population, and somehow in you know the past i don't know if it's five or ten years yeah maybe some of it's due to generational stuff in the workplace um but we're facing this thing where people it it's it's gone beyond kind of being expected to be demanded it's gone beyond mm -hmm. like hey it'd be nice to work for an ethical organization to i like i'm not going to put up with it and i think that that conversation sometimes is not in the boardroom and ceos don't have their eyes on that we can help uh, elucidate them of that um, but probably even more frequently, it's not in the conversation between the ethics department right. and the executives. And maybe we're focused a lot on the, the compliance 2.0 thing of, Hey, I got to meet my budget and I got to prove ROI and stuff like that. Like you got to do it. But the way that we're going to get into this conversation of like, Hey, we actually need to do this. We ought, we need to consider how our employees are treated, how we show up to, our, you know, what our branding is to our customers and stuff like that. I think that it's something that has quickly kind of passed the peak of, hey, that'd be good. You're maybe a little bit more competitive. It's a nice to have to like, we need to do it because no one else is doing it. Table stakes, yeah. yeah absolutely. I, I mean, you end up in a situation where, I mean, I mean two, two of many different things can, can happen. A, um, if, 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 if a, again, a small percentage, a large absolute number of people think that the company is un disinterested in, in their concerns regarding the, the, their perception of the ethical operations of the company, they will become less interested in the harder aspects of compliance that are um, that are that are important for keeping the company safe and out of jail. I mean, people, if people think you don't give a damn about my concerns, 
then I'm not going to give a damn about your training mm. and your helpline and your and my and I'm sure not going to be raising my hands about other people who are doing things wrong when I raise my hands about management and you do nothing. Mm. Uh, and so that you, you, the program can start to to, to 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 fall flat there. And then if you're if you're in a hyper competitive work work sort of worker environment, yeah. your ability to hire and 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 and, and retain people can be negatively impacted. I mean, people, I mean, Google is best to be able to hire many super talented, super talented people. Me, of course, I'm the exception. But, <laughs> but, the, uh, but, but, but these folks have other, th- other opportunities. Yep. You know, and if, and if, they, and if they, 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 they cross wherever that line is, oh, gee, this is not an organization I'm proud to be associated with, they'll book. Yep. And that line is getting closer and closer. You know, people, people, especially in the, in the on the West Coast, where every everybody's got that startup, and I mean, Pete, there's something morally, ethically pure about a startup. I mean, there's something easily easy to understand. Oh. But some people, I mean, a lot of folks will will stay in an organization. It'll get large. It'll get complicated. They'll leave. They'll leave because they remember how things were simpler and more straightforward when I worked at a startup. Yeah, that clarity of purpose or that, hey, we're going to change the world, right? Like that energy before it gets diluted by all the sort of corporate stuff uh, is an attraction. And with the labor mobility, which I think has even increased now, even with COVID, right? Anybody can work from anywhere. It becomes increasingly important for those supply and demand labor curves. That's a real market. And both of those lines move. So as a supplier of labor opportunities, right, an employer, you have to really earn those employees' hearts and you have to earn their, you know, allegiance or their volunteerism to come and show up every day and pursue whatever organizational purpose you have in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you really have to believe what you say when you say your employees, your workers are the most important part of your organization. Workers first. You have to really, really sort of put 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 actions behind that. Yeah. yeah. No CEO is not gonna say that, but yeah. Very few CEOs, I think, actually run their company that way. You know yeah, <laughs> exactly. Very few yeah. are going to say, uh, yeah, the board who determ- determines my comp is my most important asset. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's let's shift gears a little bit and let's, um, let's talk about, you know, there's a lot of folks who I'm sure are loving everything you're talking about. Uh, they love the opportunity or they see the opportunity for compliance and ethics to really uh, animate the workforce and release some of that uh, magic. Um, they see the promised land, but they don't really know how to get there. They're stuck in a box, as you said, or they're stuck in a cost center mentality organization, or they're stuck with a boss who doesn't, who's just like, you know what, keep us out of the jail, run the training. Uh, you know, I'll let you know what I think when I, you know, that whole uh, arrogant thing. Yeah. Um, what, like, what do you tell that person? What would you tell that person to, like, how to elevate? How do they break out of that glass ceiling and how do they get that seat at the um, at the adults table, so to speak? So so I, I wish I had sort of the, the, the magic answer. I don't. I mean, you have, you have to identify uh, people at that, that management uh, level that 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 share, uh, at least in some sense, your your beliefs regarding the, the promise of, of leveraging the organization in a, in a better way. Um, if you have ex- concrete examples of where your your efforts to get sort of at that 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 below the sea level part of the iceberg have worked out well, and you've discovered things that ultimately have been helpful to the organization, 
I think that I think that that can be that can be a, one mechanism. Um, I mean, there's always. I mean, you look you look at some of the 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 things out there from the DOJ and the SEC uh, that talk about effective compliance programs. They're actually incorporating some of this right. yep. into their expectations. You know, I mean, even simple things like if you went out there and you asked your employees who, who leads ethics ethics and compliance for the company, and you know some massive number percentage don't ha- don't know who that is that that's some indication of wow you, you're not out there penetrating the way you want to get out so i mean th- those are some examples that's a great example uh kind of kind of along those lines andy you you've uh kind of been in this game you've led you know groundbreaking companies through this ethics game for you know years and years uh and you've seen kind of the broader culture kind of expand around and get into this kind of, you know, phasing from 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0. I'd love to hear just, you know, personally for you, like, where do you go to get better? You know, the, uh, what have you found has made you a better leader in compliance? And maybe I'd, I'd especially be interested, where have you found kind of some and some cross-disciplinary things that are maybe not just going to the conference and learning about regulations, but something else that has let you uh, engage across departmental lines or engage with executives? Um, anything come to mind of how you've sure. continued to stay sharp and, and be, uh, you know, a leader in this game? Great question. Sure. I mean, I mean- I mean, one of the, one of the one of the challenges of compliance organizations is that we just, for one reason or another, don't get to leverage the other components of the business. But I mean, I've sat with marketing people and learned about the the the, the six or seven mechanisms for being an effective marketer. Um, I've you know, I'm I'm open to comms people uh, in terms of of how to come up with communications that are going to be appealing and engaging with people yeah. uh, and don't simply sort of check a box because I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm not, that, that's not my, that's not my gift. Um, I do think there's tremendous amounts to be learned from peers. Hmm. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the conferences and I all, even when I speak in conferences, I always get more than I, than I, than, than I give because there are people out there who are really, really smart in this, way smarter than I am, and they have they have they have fantastic ideas. Sometimes hard to implement, sometimes pie in the sky. But if you don't start with that, um, then why 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 do this? If you're not if you're not shooting for for as Google would say 10x improvement, then why 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 play the game at all? Uh, and so so I, I do get a lot of great ideas from others others in the organization others in, in the field, and then. They're folk. There, I mean, again, Google has some really smart people. There were folks on on the teams that I led mm. that that had you know, had different, better, helpful perspectives on how to be effective than I ever had. I mean, the, wow. you, 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 as soon as you start to think you're the smartest person in the room, or God forbid, as soon as you start to think you're the only smart person in the room, mm. you're doomed. Right. You're, you're, you're doomed. Uh, and so, yeah, luckily, because Google is so smart, that was never an issue with me. Uh, and so, so yeah, I, I, I learned from a lot of different sources. That's great, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes humility to uh, admit that and to take that stance. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of times in the ethics game, we're we're kind of called on to have all the answers, or at least we think we are, right? Like, okay, well, I have to be tight on my game. I have to know all of this stuff. 
Um, and, you know, there, there's a place for that. Like, we need to do our work well. Um, but also I think that that humility of saying, hey, you know what? So, the junior person on my team may have a perspective about engaging the employee population that I wouldn't have thought of. Or maybe I can talk to this person in engineering and they, they have some principle there that if I just build a relationship across, you know, the silos in the company, um, we can make it better. Um, and I, I think that we as ethics experts need to lead the way of making those connections, kind of uh, making a stronger network in our industry and within our company um, to get those learnings and to kind of unlock some of those doors that maybe have been closed to us previously. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, and, and it can be a catalyst for you to do things uh, and sort of redo things hmm. that, that, that you are uncomfortable with. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're folks on the team are uh, hypothetical. See, there's a, there's a cultural issue in the company and you, and you know, look, I've been talking about this forever. Nobody really wants to hear me talk about it anymore. Nobody's just in, 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 in my perspective on this, as unfortunate as that is. Do folks get on the team, and, but they'll, they'll, they'll let you. Mm. Hey, look, this is li they're literally calling this an ethics concern. How could you not be exactly. an important voice on this? Right. And it, it just makes you look, sort of look inward and say, you know, you're right. You know, I, maybe somewhat, I, maybe I've somewhat given up the fight. I, I need to re-engage. And sort of back to your point, your question on on how to how to sort of get traction with management. One of the ways you go back, say, so look, Bob. I know we talked about this before, but folks in the team have raised this, and and I I just can't let it go. We need to have another conversation about why we're doing things this way, and why how can I be be more helpful to you in terms of navigating some of the challenges that you're seeing from the employee population around some of the things the company has decided to do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Listening to your team can really be sort of the the tailwind for you to reengage and and continue in, in in the battle. That's sort of everyday part of ethics and compliance. Yeah, and maybe even show that hey, this is not just the compliance guy saying this. There's some social proof here, right. and there's some exactly. other people who have this. This is not just because you know I'm, I'm obviously looking to catch you on a footfall and get you in trouble. Like this is something that's going to impact you and your turnover and recruiting and our ability to hit this mission. It's all integrated, and that's one of the things that I love about this ethics game is that it touches everything. Yep. You know, like you know, you can make that argument for a bunch of things. Supply chain touches everything and stuff like that, but this wraps around. It touches every employee. It touches the culture. It touches the mission. It touches the financial performance of the company for sure. Um, and if we can help help get into that conversation, and to your point, Andy, sometimes have it the conversation multiple times, then then I think we can get there. Yes. So um, we got kicked off here with Andy. Phenomenal conversation. Thank you all for joining us. Um, welcome, welcome. Uh, subscribe and see you next time. <laughs>